Welcome, and thank you for joining us for Simple Truths, the podcast of Bible Baptist Church of Wilmington, Ohio. Today, we will dive into God's Word to seek simple truths for everyday life. Let's join Pastor Josh Dixon for today's Simple Truth. Uh, this morning, I want to I want to kick off a little study that involves um, the same topic on a weekly basis, but different locations within the scripture, along with different circumstances of those locations uh, within these verses that we'll look at. Uh, We're going to be seeing the importance of the mountaintop experience. Remember, what grows in the valley is a result of the mountain. The rich runoff of the mountaintop down into the valleys, the protection in the valley is offered by the mountain. Uh, God did some mighty and memorable things on high places in the scripture. And I believe the reason is found in that he was highlighting, he was underlining the importance of that specific activity. Whatever took place up on the mountain, uh, God was highlighting. He was causing us to to see that in a very clear and profound way. As we look at the terrain of our own life, I think that we'll easily see the same evidence. Maybe not in a physical peak. Maybe you weren't on a mountain. Maybe you didn't go to the Rocky Mountains or the Smoky Mountains and have a God encounter or a a God moment. But things like this, this is what we're referring to, those high mark moments of your life. Things like your birth. Things like um, uh, certain accomplishments. uh, Those high marks of your life. Spiritual decisions. God encounters, and even, as we said in introduction this morning, our passing, our death, those moments that God is involved within our lives. As the Lord leads, we're going to march our way through the scripture, only stepping on the high peaks, celebrating what they mean to our faith and to our understanding of God. Let me give you a disclaimer. We will not, we will not touch every one of them. Uh, So if you find one and you say, hey, Pastor Josh, you didn't talk about this one or we didn't discuss this one, this is not an exhausted list, okay? That would take us a a long time. We're just going to hit the the high marks, if you will. So if you have Genesis chapter 8 opened, let's stand together for the reading of God's word as we begin in verse 1 of this text, the first mountain, the first high place in the scripture, we find in verse 1, chapter 8, and God remembered Noah. That's going to be important here in just a few moments. And every living thing and all the cattle that was with him in the ark, and God made a wind to pass over the earth, and the waters assuaged. The fountains also of the deep and the windows of heaven were stopped, and the rain from heaven was restrained, and the waters returned from off the earth continually and after the end of the 150 days, the water, the waters were abated. The ark rested, verse 4, the seventh month on the 17th day of the month upon the mountains of Ararat. The waters decreased continually until the 10th month and the 10th month on the first day of the month were the tops of the mountains seen. And it came to pass at the end of 40 days that Noah opened the window of the ark which he had made. And he sent forth a raven which went forth to and fro until the waters were dried up from off the earth. Also, he sent forth a dove from him to see if the waters were abated from off the face of the ground. But the dove found no rest for the sole of her foot, and she returned unto him into the ark. For the waters were on the face of the whole earth 
When he put forth his hand and took her, he pulled her in unto him into the ark, and he stayed yet other seven days. And again, he sent forth the dove out of the ark. And the dove came in to him in the evening, and lo, in her mouth was an olive leaf plucked off. So Noah knew that the waters were abated from off the earth. Look at verse 13, if you would. And it came to pass in the 601st year, in the first month, the first day of the month, the waters were dried up from off the earth. And Noah removed the covering of the ark and looked, and behold, the face of the ground was dry. In the second month, on the seven and twentieth day of the month, was the earth dried. And God spake unto Noah, saying, Go forth of the ark, thou and thy wife and thy sons and thy sons' wives with thee. Bring forth with thee every living thing that is with thee of all flesh, both of fowl and of cattle, and of every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth, that they may breed abundantly in the earth and be fruitful and multiply upon the earth. And Noah went forth and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him. Every beast, verse 19 says, every creeping thing and every fowl and whatsoever creepeth upon the earth and after their kinds went forth out of the ark. Thank you so much for standing in honor of the reading of God's word. You may be seated. Several verses. I'm appreciative of your patience as we read that opening text today. We find ourselves on that first high place of Mount Ararat. As you'll see in a moment, it is a place of promise. It's a place of new beginnings. However, prior to the promise, there was a major storm that brewed and swept across the entire, as the text says, and we read it for ourselves, across the entire world, leaving its mark even unto this day. We see the evidences. Please do not let the scientists tell you otherwise. We see the evidences of the worldwide flood even today. Please say amen to that. In chapter 6, and we're going to look at several verses here in uh, these few pages of your scripture. And so keep your Bible open as we'll reference a few different chapters here. But in chapter 6, verses 5 through 6, we find that God was, was sorry. He was disappointed in the direction that man had chosen to take in relation to himself. The word repented. If you'll look at chapter 6, verse 5 of the book of Genesis, this is all introduction, setting up the scene here. Chapter 6, verse 5, and it repented. That's interesting. The Lord, that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him at his heart. God knows what grief is. Some of you are grieving. Some of you are hurting this morning for different reasons. Let us be reminded today that God knows what grief is. It says in verse 7, And the Lord said, I will destroy man, look at this, whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, and the creeping thing, and the fowls of the air, for it repenteth me, there's that word again, that I have made them. That word repented does not mean that God made a mistake, but rather indicates a change, a change in divine direction. If you're keeping notes, I would jot that down and I'll say it again for you. It does not mean when it says that he repented, it does not mean that God made a mistake, but rather indicates a change. God cannot make a mistake. Please testify to that. He's perfect. It's a change in divine direction resulting, here's the key, resulting from the actions 
of man. It describes the pain that it caused to the love of God that he had to destroy his own creation. In the midst of this wayward, disobedient, and careless generation, we find a a new chapter unfold before our eyes in the history of mankind. And we find that in verse 8 of chapter 6. If you'll glance at it, we find something interesting. It says this, but Noah found grace. If you're saved, you ought to say amen to that. In the eyes of the Lord. In the Hebrew, the word grace comes from a root meaning to bend or to stoop. Thus teaching us that we have a God who is willingly offering unmerited favor to an inferior recipient. That is us. That's you and I. He is offering us his grace, his goodness to us when we are not worthy of receiving it. Somebody ought to say amen to that too. When we look up on Mount Ararat, we are looking at a mountain of grace. We are reminded that we have a God that is worthy of our full attention and faithfulness. In chapter 6, verse 9, it tells us that Noah was a man that was going against the grain of society. Chapter 6, verse 9 says, these are the generations of Noah. Noah was a just man and perfect in his generations. And Noah, say that next word out loud, he walked with God. He walked with God. It says that he was perfect in his generations. That perfection is a reference to his maturity, his well-roundedness, if you will, in his relationship with the Lord, or as the scripture says it, in his walk with the Lord. As we read the description of Noah's day, we very easily can relate to the setting, unfortunately, can't we? The only part that we cannot, and I'm thankful, relate to is the fact that we are not alone. Amen? Look at your neighbor and say, you're not alone. Look at your other neighbor and say, hey, I'm right here. Huh? Aren't you thankful for your brother and your sister in Christ? Yeah. Hey, we sometimes take that for granted. Noah didn't have anyone except for his own family. He didn't have anyone to rely on. He didn't have anyone that was joining him in the way of worship and offering sacrifice. He was only, now we can certainly relate to the fact that society is evil today, just like it was in his day. It's wicked. We can very easily, again, unfortunately, relate to that. But the thing that is different is we have, we have one another. We have the blessing. We talked about this in Sunday school this morning. I had the I had the pleasure of teaching college and career. I feel so young and vibrant today. We talked about that this morning. It's kind of an old-fashioned word, but fellowship is crucial to who we are as believers. It's important. Noah didn't, didn't have that benefit, per se. In verses 11 and 12 of chapter 6, it's a great summary of the society's sickness. It says in that text or in those verses, if you'll glance, you'll find these words. It says that it was filled with violence for all flesh had corrupted his way upon the earth. We know that in his grace, God commanded Noah. If you're keeping notes, these will be valuable to write down. God commanded Noah to build an ark. And listen, I'm not trying to insult your intelligence, your spiritual intelligence this morning, but sometimes we take the, the magnitude of that responsibility for granted. God told Noah to build an ark. Excuse me, God, build a what? I want you to build an ark because it's going to rain. Hold up, God. It's going to do what? It's going to rain. I need you to build an ark. And the details of that, if you were to take the time and look this afternoon, if you were to study that out for yourself this week in your, in your private Bible study time, the details are staggering that God provides him in the way of a blueprint. It proves God's hand within our daily lives. Would somebody please testify to that? I often take peace in that. 
just as God was providing Noah all of the measurements, all of the tools, all of the wisdom that he needed to build the ark, God is providing us the same wisdom to build our life and faith. He asked Noah to build, to build the ark. He says to build in verse 16 of chapter 6, put a window in it. And that is very briefly mentioned in the, in, in the blueprint of the ark itself, but it's crucial. If you remember our reading in our opening text of chapter 8, that window is crucial to the promise and to the grace that is offered on Mount Ararat. It's crucial to the mountaintop experience. Now, little did, did Noah understand and know that it would mean so much later. God has a way with those kind of things, doesn't he? He's often, often providing windows in our life that we don't understand the purpose of them today, but we'll soon receive the blessing through those windows. The ark is a picture of the cross. It's a picture of a way of salvation. He tells Noah in the fine details to pitch the ark with tar, to pitch it within and to pitch it without, sealing it. And that is a picture of the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit in our life. If you're saved, you ought to say amen or wave a hanky to that. You are sealed. You are protected by the Holy Spirit of God. The fact that God closed the door is a picture of God saying, or of God saving Noah and his family and not Noah saving himself. Let me say that this morning. If you're here and you're not saved, you cannot save yourself. You cannot get to heaven on your own. You need God to seal the deal. You need God to get involved and by the way, he's done everything that is, that is needed. He has provided his son to offer a personal relationship with you. God shut the door and sealed them in. He told Noah to build an ark. He asked Noah to go to work. No one is going to do this for you, Noah. You have to do it for yourself. You can't go to Walmart and order an ark. You can't go down the street to Menards. I love Menards. You can't go to Menards and buy an ark. You can't get uh, a crew to, to come in and, and subsidize it. You can't get a crew to come in and at least frame it for you, and that way you can just do the finish work, you and the boys. No, you have to build it from scratch. You're going to have to do all of the work yourself. If you're going to have anything in life, you have to work for it. Mercy. If you're going to have anything in life, you have to work for it. Somehow or another, we have forgotten that as a people. Life requires work. Get off your couch and go to work. They're begging for people to work today, and we won't show up. Enough of that. Spiritual things. If you want something spiritual, the same is true. You've got to work for it. You've got to put some effort in. You've got to get on your knees and pray. You've got to open your Bible and read it. And then, this is so important, apply it. It doesn't matter how much you read, you have to apply it. Please say amen to that. Yes, you've got to go to work for something in your life. Chapter 6, verse 22 says this, according to all that God commanded him, so did he. He did everything that God asked him to do. He went to work. Next, he had to lead his family. 
chapter uh, 7, if you want to turn a page or maybe look across the page, chapter 7, verse 7 says this, and Noah went in and his sons and his wife and his son's wives with him into the ark because the waters of the flood. Look at verse 23 of the same chapter, and every living substance was destroyed, which was upon the face of the ground, both man and cattle and the creeping things and the fowl of the heaven. Uh, heaven, and they were destroyed from the earth, and Noah only remained alive, and they, that's important, that were with him in the ark. God's blessing was not just on Noah, but his house. It was through this family. It was through this one family that God would replenish the entire earth. God believes in the family. Mercy. God believes in the family. If you're a husband, lead your family. Lead your family. If you're a wife, follow your husband. Ephesians chapter 5, the end of the chapter, verse 32, says that she should reverence her husband. There's such a love. There's such a desire. There's such a, a bond that he's leading and she's following, and they are completely together in that pursuit. God asked him to lead his family. God also asked him to steward, steward his creation. In verse 2 of chapter 7, we notice it says that of every clean beast, thou shalt take to thee by sevens, the male and his female, and of beasts that are not clean by two, the male and his, his female. There's a distinction in the fine print of the scripture. There's a distinction between the clean and the unclean animals, which was for sacrifice purposes. Seven of the unclean, likely that's seven pairs of the unclean, and two, a pair or uh, seven pairs of the clean, excuse me, and two, now that you're completely confused, a pair of the unclean. Let's move on. Can you imagine? I can't fathom this. Can you imagine the care, the management that was involved in gathering all of God's creation in that ark? Can you imagine cleaning that many horse stalls? Huh? Can you imagine building all of those stalls, all of those pins, thinking of every detail of how that must be built. Can you imagine all of the all of the feed, all of the supplies? He had a working feed mill in that thing. He had to to provide life for all of those animals. And the point for us in application is that God chose him because he knew that he would properly steward and manage the resources that God had provided. Please say amen to that. There's so much in that for you and I. We've become a wasteful people. In many realms, we are poor stewards of what God provides us. I challenge you this morning in the way of our application and the example that is laid before us of Noah and his relationship with God. God knew, God knew that Noah would take care of business, that he would steward and manage properly. And then the verses tell us in chapter 7, verse 11, that the fountains of the great deep were broken up and the windows of heaven were opened. Sometimes, and let me speak for myself, sometimes I forget the fact that it was not just the rain, but it was the fountains of the deep that were opened up, and God allowed those springs to bring forth that water from, from the ground as well. It had never rained before, yet we do not read of anyone trying to enter the ark or even bargaining with Noah to find redemption. As Noah shared the news of what was happening, as he began to build the ark, listen, we don't find it in the scriptures that anyone ever came along and said, hey, how much is a room? Could I get a suite on the north side? It had never rained before, and society and culture could not care less about what Noah had said. 
What it must have felt like as the boat began to be lifted above the earth. Verse 17 of chapter 7, if you'll glance at it quickly, verse 17 says, And the flood was 40 days upon the earth, and the water increased and bare up the ark, and it was lift above the earth. What it must have felt like, what it must have looked like as the water, you visibly can see it coming up now. And as the, as the boat began to creak and rock and for the first time be lifted up off the ground and float, Noah was tested, wasn't he? His faith was being tested in this season to literally stand on the promises of God. God reminded Noah, and you know this to be true, it won't be like this forever, Noah. This is only a season. You'll be safe, Noah. Do what I tell you to do and you'll be safe. Do as I say, follow me. It's here that we find that Mount Ararat is a place of number one this morning, a place of memory. What a thought. The God of the universe, the one that controls all things, puts effort into remembering you and I. God never forgets. He never forgets the plan. Chapter 8, verse 1, it says, And God remembered Noah. The verb remember does not infer that God forgot, but rather to the special attention or personal care that God gives to his own. The same verb is used in reference to Samson. Hang with me as I read these quickly. You don't have to turn to these. I'll, I'll spare you the time. Judges chapter 16, verse 28, it says, And Samson called unto the Lord and said, O Lord God, remember me, I pray thee, and strengthen me, I pray thee, only this once, O God, that I may be at once avenged of the Philistines for my two eyes. Remember me. The same verb that is used here in the way of remembering Noah is also used for Hannah. You know that Hannah was barren in 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 11, and she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if thou wilt indeed look on the affliction of thine handmaid and remember me. The same verb of remember is used for Abraham. Genesis chapter 19, verse 29, and it came to pass when God destroyed the cities of the plain that God remembered Abraham. This is in relation to Lot and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow of Sodom and Gomorrah. He remembered Abraham's faith. How about this one? Luke chapter 23, verse 42, the thief on the cross. And he said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. What did Jesus say? Today thou shalt be in paradise. God never forgets where you fit into the plan. The mountain is a place of memory. As you recall those high marks of your own life, an introduction, we, we named a few that could, could be those, those places, those high, those high marks, those mountaintop experiences, your, your birth, your, your spiritual birth, uh, your graduation, your, your wedding, your, your, your children's uh, births, those high mark places, the day of your baptism, whatever it might be for you, God never forgets where you fit into the plan. God always, he always preserves life. In verse one of chapter eight, God remembered, it says, every living thing. Even in the midst of judgment, he was concerned, wasn't he? He was concerned about the living. Remember what we said last week, God cannot and will not tolerate sin. Mercy, some of you don't remember last week, huh? God cannot and will not tolerate sin. That's why he destroyed mankind other than Noah and his, his family. Death is always related. It is always traced back to sin. It's the curse of sin. Life, however, is of our creator, God, isn't it? 
Mount Ararat is a place of life and a reminder that God was in the valley of yesterday, but he is on the mountain of today. It's a place of memory. Number two, it's a place of opportunity. Chapter eight, verse four tells us that the ark found rest. I like that word upon the mountains. Notice the plural, the mountains of Ararat. What it must have felt like as the ship docked itself for the very first time. Mount Ararat is known to be a, a twin peak. It has two uh, major heights upon the mountain range. It is thought, now we don't know this for sure, but it is thought that the ark docked between the two points of the mountain. I think that it's interesting in this text of chapter 8, verse 4, that it says the mountains, plural, of Ararat, referring to the, the godly creation of that mountain in those twin peaks. Noah reaches through the window here, the window of opportunity. Chapter 8, verse 6, if you'll glance at it, now that, that blueprint piece of, of chapter uh, 6 or chapter 7 is so crucial. It says in verse 6 of chapter 8, and it came to pass at the end of the 40 days that Noah opened the window of the ark which he had made. God had told him to build that window, and likely he didn't think much of it when he was building it. But on this day, he was thankful for it. It had major reason. God opens windows of opportunity around us all of the time. It's important that we're discerning. It's important that we are paying attention and we use them properly. We see in the text that Noah had a little bit of understanding of creation. He had a little bit of wisdom and discernment about what God had created in the way of these different animals and especially the way of these different fowl, the, the different uh, birds that he uses in chapter 8. My point of application is that Noah was using properly this window that God had allowed him to build and to open. I challenge you in that thought this morning. What windows is God working through in your life today? If you're saved this morning, it might be a window of new friendship or relationship. God often brings us in contact with someone in our life that needs to hear about our faith and our relationship with him. Please testify to that. Let God open the window and you reach through it. Some of you today, it's a window of growth. God's opening a window of opportunity for you to grow and strengthen in your relationship with him. You know, that's something that we sometimes take for granted in this story because we know the story so well. But God was extending Noah's understanding of God, of who he was. He was challenging him in his faith and relationship. Some of you today, God is challenging. He's opening up a window for you to reach through and to grow, to gain a greater understanding. Some of you, it's baptism. Some of you, it's membership. Some of you, it's rededication. Some of you are dealing with challenges. You're in the valley. Your health, your finances, life circumstances, your family, your relationships. How about this one? The world in general. Our country is in a world of hurt. It's hard to fathom, isn't it? The wickedness and the evil that we see. Who walks into a classroom? Some of you are educators. Who walks into a classroom of little children? causes total and complete destruction. The enemy is among us. He is attacking us greatly today. My point is this. God is opening windows of opportunity for his people. Listen, to be his people, to proclaim truth, to stand on his promises, and to experience him not only on the mountain, but in the valley too. We find as he opens this window that he first sends out a raven, knowing that it would land and feed on anything in verse 7 of chapter 8. Then he sent forth a dove in verse 8, 
of chapter 8, knowing that it would return to its point of origin, that it would come back and almost be a messenger to him. It would only light on something clean, knowing also that it naturally inhabited the valleys. He sent out the dove on the mountain Noah was reaching forth through a godly window of opportunity to determine his next step. Listen to these words. He was trying to determine his next step in life. I think we could all relate to that. He was using the mountain as a launching point, preparing. He was even preparing for the valley, sending out the dove, and which brought forth, as the scripture tells us, it brought forth the blessing of an olive leaf, the universal symbol of peace in verse 11. God is opening windows all around us, but we have to reach through them. We have to seek him. And it's so true, I hope that you're reading between the lines here, you can't stay up on the mountain. You're only there for a little while. Take advantage of the points of those high marks in your life and those mountaintop experiences, but you can't stay up there. As he sends that dove out, the dove had went down and found the twig of the olive branch and brought it back, signifying that a valley was coming. But God will be in the valley just as he was on the mountain. It's here that Noah stepped through not only the window, but the door of surrender. Thank you for joining us today for Simple Truths. If you would like to accept Christ as your Savior, or if you have questions, please give us a call at 937-383-1122 or check us out on the web at bbcwilmington.org. Simple Truths is a podcast sponsored by Bible Baptist Church of Wilmington, Ohio. We hope you have a great day. And may God bless you.